episode 35 with Michelle Wright. I've been looking forward to this one for a few days and uh, turned out really great. Enjoyed the conversation a lot. My co-host once again, Mr. Brian Edwards, and uh, we had some great conversations. Brian goes back a long ways with Michelle, and uh, we talked about the good old days and everything that's happening now. Uh, I think you're going to really enjoy this conversation. Sit back, relax, enjoy Michelle Wright. We're doing a little FaceTime video with uh, Michelle and Brian Edwards is joining again as a co-host and lovely to have all of you here amongst this crazy COVID time. And uh, it's kind of neat now that we have a chance to sit down and have more time during the day and, and being able to do these conversations. And uh, But it certainly is a time now that it's stressful for, for everybody. I think we all go through... Uh, times where we're feeling happy to be home, happy to be with loved ones and all that. But then you get that stress of what's going to happen next week, what's going to happen the week after that, or what's going to happen a month from now. So so uh, how are you feeling, Michelle, on things uh, as, you're, as you're sitting in Nashville? You're in Nashville, right? Yep, yeah. yep, yep. Well, that is sort of an interesting way of, of, of putting it, you know, of expressing it. Because on one hand, it's just like, well... This is cool, you know, everybody's sort of, I can stay very focused on certain tasks around the house and and not even, like, think about anything outside of the home right now. And, and, and then on the other hand, you know, just feel stressful and concerned and and sad and, uh, you know, I, I, I so generally speak, and, and I know that so, you know, one of the things I think about is I know that for me and for our household, you know, that Marco and I, you can't get too... You can't let yourself get caught up too much in that swirl because we're, you know, we're, you're no, we're no good to one another uh, or even to just sort of the, the world out there if we start falling apart over here. So we're, I've had a couple of days of real, wow, this is really going down, isn't it? This is really serious and really heavy. And then snap out of it and, and try to be, get stuff done and be a positive person piece of energy out there you know what i'm saying yeah yeah absolutely yeah i discovered dry shampoo for the first time ah see it's a plus my mother used to use that when i was a kid you know and it, it, it it's been a while since i've used it but it is a handy little tool to have around isn't it it was funny this morning i was uh i figured well i don't have to wash my hair every day i just try this dry shampoo stuff yeah. and i went to my bathroom counter and i just did a thorough cleaning of everything in this whole house. And uh, yes. as I'm sure everyone's been doing. Yes. And then I go to my counter and I'm looking, why is my counter so dusty? It was like thick of dust <laughs> as I'm spraying this dry shampoo in my hair to see if it works. And then I realize it's all this settlement from this dry shampoo stuff. That's, <laughs> that's making me look like I haven't cleaned my bathroom. So well, I, I love what you're saying about the cleaning. Cause yesterday our master bathroom got the toothbrush cleaning. I had the toothbrush. I mean, it, and of course when I was all done, I brought Marco in last night and went, look at this it's sparkling everywhere. I'm a bit of a clean freak to begin with, but uh, this, uh, but this time of year always is spring cleaning time. So it's uh, it's kind of, Falling at the right time, at least, yeah. Yeah, I did, I did the same thing uh, in a bathroom 
put a nice stone wall against the one edge of the of the shower, and it looks great. But oh, after no. a while, you realize it's not a smooth surface; it's all rough, and yeah. everything just gathers up. So I started looking at it. It's like, oh, I got to get the steamer. I had the steamer and the same thing and the brush. And it's <laughs> yeah. like, it like, I can't believe how dirty this is. Like three, right. hours, three hours later, I was exhausted. I but know. it's done. I mean, I'm, yeah. when do you have time to do that? So now you do. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. As we think about all of this going around the world, part of it brings out some a lot of good things in, in people, especially what you're talking about there. I mean, it's never bad to be overly clean. Like, yeah. I know, you know, we're touring the road the way we do. We certainly see a lot of things that are not necessarily polished all the time. So maybe some of these situations are going to change towards the good. And I don't think that's a bad thing. I mean, yeah. some of these venues that we've worked in high yeah. schools and God knows what else right. and the bar scenes and all that sort yeah. of stuff. You certainly often leave some of those facilities with your feet sticking to the floor <laughs> and all that sort of stuff and kind of. So maybe this will change some of that all towards the good. Well, you know, speaking of those good old days, Brian, you know, I played the clubs for nine years, six nights a week. That's what I did, you know, I was, and I was, and so thankful for it. And in hindsight, realize how, how awesome, the kids today that are coming up, the younger, they would give anything to be able to do that, right? Six nights a week playing music. And, and so, of course, I'm very thankful for it. And it helped me develop what it, you know, and certainly confirm that I love this, want to be on the road and what have you. But I, uh, I used to never let my band go into those rooms until I went in there and determined whether or not, you know, the, the, the rooms were often above the bar, right? The old, the hot, the, 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 you know, and so I would always make sure that everything was clean. And if it wasn't, I'd send the boys to a restaurant somewhere and I'd take the bedding out and go do the laundry. And I just uh, always uh, needed to be clean for me. And I, I wanted my band guys to not feel like, they didn't matter to me, you know, so took, always made sure things were clean. They, they appreciated it, yeah. Some of those old band houses, they put everybody in and all that sort of stuff. I mean, boy, I'll tell you, those walls could talk and, yeah. oh, oh, boy. Uh, I'm, I can I'm remember. glad they can't talk, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I can remember bringing our own pillows yes, and blankets me. and, yes, oh, yeah, me. our own sheets and everything else. <laughs> uh, hello. Oh, boy. But, but boy. what a great time as a singer in a band to be able to play six nights a week. I mean, fabulous. I think music back then, as far as bands are concerned, I mean, there's always great bands now, great performers, but lots of times now as Canadian artists, you'll do maybe a tour or you have a one-off at a festival and you may not have played together for a month or two. Uh, yeah. And you do a little rehearsal the day before, make sure everyone remembers their tunes, and you get up and you get through it. Uh, it's always, it's always good. Yeah. But man, it was it great back then. I remember. Yeah. Oh, I remember going see certain bands at clubs years ago. My uh, always my favorite coming through town when I was uh, in Kitchener at the Stampede Corral. I used to go see Bo- Bobby Lalonde, um, <laughs> and oh. he had the best band ever and i would just go and i'm just mesmerized by how great they were um and you just don't see that type of polished entertainment just on a regular and they weren't famous they were just six nights a week playing right another band too that i loved was um 
was um, Terry Sumption's band yeah. with uh, Kenny Poe and, Mar- and Marie Bottrell's band with John Diamond in it and uh, and I, and Steve Petico also one of the finest guitar players ever uh, you know and 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 I still yeah I'm, I'm so glad that he's on Facebook because he, every now and then he'll post something and I'll always play it for my husband because my husband played guitar for years he did the club scene and he, you know he when I met him he was just uh, uh, moving out of you know the, the being a player full time and, and and establishing his own business, but um, I, every time I see Steve on on Facebook, I'm like, honey, you got to listen to this guy; he's just incredible. So, yeah, saw some great musicians in the day, and of course, like you're saying, there's still uh, you know there's a lot of wonderful talent out there today, and these young musicians and young artists are they're they're fantastic, and I'm what what they would give though to be able to lock it in like we got to do back in the day and of course with my band too we did that we we were just on the road even with the record deal i was looking at my schedule here sharing showing my husband my uh my steel guitar player and lead guitar player who's still with me lee warren after gosh we're coming up on 30 years probably now he kept it thank god he did this now my 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 manager brian my longtime manager brian did the same thing but lee did it in a little more sort of concise way up on his website is every single date he's ever done with me since like 1990 or something and so when i looked at that all the shows we used to do and we were coming up and and you know got the record deal and traveling all over the world and 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 just that magic that you feel with your band when it's locked, it's just wonderful. Yeah. And then, and then on the other hand, there's something to be said, too. I will say that we just did a Christmas um, tour this year, and I hadn't done it in seven years. And, the, and I had the same players pretty much that I've done it with before and what have you. And, uh, and the first night was so exciting because you're just like, wow, are we going to get through this, you know? So there's something to be said about... Uh, there, there's no complacency when you haven't played for a while, at least, eh? Yeah. It's the third night you have to watch out for. <laughs> it's the the uh, first, first is energy. Yeah. You're absolutely yeah. <laughs> Everyone so gets true. comfortable and the third show just sucks. <laughs> like, how did I forget all, how did that happen? That's so, I, I'm going to, you're absolutely, that's the third night. Boy, I'll have to remind Mike, okay, guys, remember it's the third night, so let's stay extra focused. Yeah, that's true. I think that was so exciting in those days. I remember those days like it was yesterday, and, and I wouldn't have given them up for the world because that's what's missing today. A, the opportunity's not there like it was, and B, sometimes the desire's not there either. Everybody wants to jump into the three and 4,000-seat venues, and that's what it's going to be like. Well, that's not – in reality, that might happen for a couple of days, but the, the bottom line is you need that I've worked with many groups over the years that the best thing that ever happened to them was they had that six nights a week in the matinees and sometimes a matinee on Sunday too. They, they yes. depend, you know, some of those clubs in the East coast, as you know, they went seven days a week. There was no such thing as six. They yeah. kept her going yeah. Yeah. and it was good. We all were better people because of it. You know, I think that it, it taught us a lot. You had to be, you had to have the showmanship there. If you didn't, you were sunk. I know everything off the top of your head. And they, a lot of them can't. That's why I like going down to watch the scene in Nashville these days and see those clubs down yeah. on Broadway and giving those people that opportunity. And it's wonderful. And the talent, holy God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
staggering. So yeah. you, you grew up in the right era. Yeah. We all did. It's good I for do us. Feel, I do feel really thankful for that. Do you know, it's interesting. I, I don't know when you guys do interviews. I, I would, I wouldn't mind to ask every now. I don't, I don't I guess I don't really ask, uh, you know, or even hang out a whole lot with the up and comers. Uh, but uh, a little bit, though, I do some song. I just wonder what they think, you know, how they feel. I think in a few conversations I've had, they would give anything to not be to be out there doing what we did. So we were very lucky. That's for sure. And you know what? The thing for me, too, is that honestly, I mean, I think it's maybe a full circle kind of thing. But I don't care if there's 50,000 people or five people. You know, I've, 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 I've experienced all of it. And no matter what, I'm going to show up and do my job because I love it first off. And I know what it's like to be in an audience and to, uh, you know, to, to want to connect in, with that person and their music. Whether, you know, like I said, whether there's five people or 50,000, you know, uh, it's not necessarily about the numbers after a while. It's about understanding your job and your responsibility is to entertain and to give that person, those people, an experience, you know, to connect with them. And uh, and I love that. I, I've always loved that. And I recognize that that's really where the value is and that's really what's important. And I've never lost sight of that, you know. I agree 100%. Yeah, I, I look back at some of the great concerts I've seen being an audience member, and I remember walking out of them not knowing anything about the people around me because I was so locked in to who was on stage. And that just kind of proves that you could, it could be five people, or it really, you feel if it's, if you've made a connection with someone, it really is you and that person in the audience. You may have yeah. that connection with, a few hundred people or a thousand people in the audience, but really for them, it's just between you and them. Yeah. And that's what I remember seeing, uh, Winona in concert yeah. in Vegas, a Christmas show. And, uh, I was this, I went to Vegas on my own, went to see a bunch of shows. I sat there and I left and I just ended up just walking around for hours because I was, I was so mesmerized uh, and so inspired by her concert, and she was so such an open book. Um, yeah, and it was just I left and kind of went, "What am I doing in Vegas?" <laughs> it felt like I was I was out of place. I shouldn't be here. There's there's something that was so magical about this Christmas show, and then you head out in the strip, and I felt wrong. Um, but it was, but it I felt when I left, I I don't remember anyone that was around me. I don't, I mean, some concerts are great for that because you you know might be high energy you're dancing with people next to you you're partying but it's those ones that you've connected with the singer or 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 the band or the the show to some degree that it's just your personal connection for some reason maybe they said something or maybe there's something that just triggered something with you and it really is about that one-on-one connection depending magic yeah it's magic Well, I have to share my Winona story with you. I mean, of course, I, I got to work with her through the years, but when about 1983 or so, 84, uh, I, I would have to look at the date exactly. Uh, I, I was off the road. My mother lived in Sudbury at the time. And so I was, uh, when I would come off the road, which was so rare, I would come and hang with mom. You know, she's come on home, mom, and she'd cook me meals and, you know, just take care of me. Yeah. And, uh, and and uh, and I'm driving around in Sudbury, and I hear "Mama, he's crazy" on the radio, and I'm like, oh, I really hope that's 
girl's not Canadian. Because if that girl's Canadian, like I'm, 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 my eye is on the, on the brass ring. My eye is on the target. I'm, I'm going to be that Canadian girl that's going to break through here because there's only room for one, you know, in our population, our little country, there wasn't a room for much more than two, maybe. Right. And there I am trying to find my, that's that one that one precious spot to be the female artist in Canada. And I heard that song and I thought, Lord, please let her not be Canadian because if she's Canadian, all of us girls might as well just pack our bags and go, you know, so so to speak, of course. And uh, I've been a huge fan. And then ironically, uh, Chuck Thompson, who's my manager now and has been for, gosh, I guess we're going on five years now. Uh, he was a part of uh, the, the Judd's management team. He actually started out with them when he was 18 years old as their publicist wow. and was a part wow. of that whole scene, you guys. And it's so fun to hear his stories. And he loved working with the girls, uh, you know, Winona and her mom. And from the, from the uh, you know, uh, private plane tours to the you know, farewell tours to the everything, you know, but interestingly enough, he said, I don't, I told him not to worry about this, but I said, don't worry, this will, he, said, he doesn't want to do any more of those private plane tours anymore. And I said, okay, <laughs> I'll, I'll cancel the private plane. <laughs> Never mind. Cause you know, they had like, they leave the, leave the venue at three in the morning, go to the hotel to get their luggage and then get on the plane by four and then land at eight. And then the managers and the guys, you know, he was exhausted all the time because he never could like crawl on the bus and just go to sleep. But once the, you know the so apparently those uh, pri- private uh, plane tours can be exhausting. So I've canceled those plans. Yeah, it's a good idea. <laughs> Feels a good price now, though. So <laughs> yeah, darn, I did it at the wrong time. <laughs> One of my fondest memories of Michelle Wright goes way, 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 way back to a casino in Las Vegas called Bally Showroom mm-hmm. back many years ago when a little guy from Peterborough, Ontario, being myself, you from Merlin, Ontario, Darren Walters from Bright, Ontario, and John Lester from Lindsay. Here we are in this big showroom, and out comes Michelle Wright showcasing at the International Fairs and Exhibition Convention. And when I left that showroom that day, a whole new thing happened to me where I felt no matter where you're from, what country you're from, you can go in there and stand up and do wonders and everybody walk around that room being so proud and you become very proud as a person too because you're part of that and i've told that story many many times um darren walters and i were having a drink in las vegas the night that brian ferryman died and that's the first memory we shared was how proud brian was walking around that room that day and how how excited he was that that happened and it meant i never forgot that i really haven't well, thank you. I'm sure. Uh, thank you for, for, for saying that. You know, I had, and you know, for the listeners out there I, I, that might, may not know this, I had a Canadian manager for 28 years. We worked together, and uh, and uh, it, and just all of our dreams came true. You know, for some reason, we just were. I don't know. We had the same vision, and it's like, and I think that's part of what's required. I think you have to see it in your mind and believe it's going to happen. And, 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 and Brian and I would sit together and just 
okay, well, you know, what, what do you see? What are the goals? How would you like to see this happen? You know, what do you want to wear? What's the band going to look like? I mean, we would talk about all the details and then, and we would believe it. Cause you know, you got it. You got to be crazy. Uh, I don't, I guess whether you're from Kentucky or Ontario, it's a crazy idea to dream the dream, but you got to dream the dream and you have to see it and you have to believe it. And, uh, and so Brian and I, of course, enjoyed a lot of success together. And, uh, and I, and when I got my record deal, I actually brought my whole Canadian team down to Nashville, my band, everybody. Like I just, I, well, and they all held their own. That's partly why, certainly, they get the credit for my decision in doing that because everybody deserved the opportunity along with me, you know. My players, it wasn't like, well, let me get rid of this band that I've had, you know, uh, so that I can go find another band. No, these guys put the time in with me and, and we came together. And, uh, and then, unfortunately, uh, uh, just a year and a half ago, gosh, uh, well, it was a year ago, December, that uh, that Brian died from um, from Lewy uh, body dementia, which was the same thing that uh, Robin Williams had, and and I must say, you know, tragically, uh, he lost his wife, who was our the business side of it. She took care of all the accounting and everything. She passed from ALS in 2014. And so then when Brian got sick, you know, he was kind of he was kind of by himself, where you know his kids were. One of his, his daughter was here and his son was off to Texas, but, you know, so it was a really sad, difficult time. Uh, but, you know, we would reminisce while I took, I took over power of attorney and, and took care of him. And thank God I could do it. Thank God uh, that uh, I wanted to and what have you, of course. He was like a second dad to me, you know. But uh, in those days before he, his mind kind of slipped away too far, we, we laughed and reminisced and smiled and... Uh, and uh, just felt thankful that we had all that time together. The dreams came true, you know. I sure learned a lot from Brian over the years. And one of the things we would do in Las Vegas at those conventions is have breakfast together. I never oh. forgot those days. And I, I really respected him and looked up to him and thought, I read your postings on Facebook when he was quite sick and you going over and tucking him in and all that stuff. And I thought, you know, yeah. that's really something. And to have that relationship with people through this industry, a lot of people don't understand that that's the kind of relationships you build where you do, you become attached at the hip for the lack of better words. And you, and they are like family. Everybody is. And that's what gets us through it. I think. Well, you know, and I have to say my manager, Chuck was so kind and so loving to me and so supportive during those times. Cause I, 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 I spent a lot of time crying to be honest with you. And I spent a lot of time with Brian you know, who I'm going to get emotional, but I think we all are. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Chuck was—he was so great, and 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 I'll tell you guys, I really lucked out. Chuck Thompson, my new manager, is a, a friend to me and someone I love and care about. As he does, it's I don't I just lucked out because it's he's just a great guy that know that's seen it all, and we both sort of come like Brian and I did. We're from the same page, you know, and Chuck is similar. So I feel really fortunate that I was able to 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 now work to have someone like him on my side, and uh, I've been surrounded by a lot of really good people throughout my career, and uh, and that continues, and I'm very fortunate. And you're that's great fortunate to have him right from the beginning, basically. You take a look how many people who will get to a certain point and think they need to jump to another manager. Or, um, it's nice to have that consistent because everyone grows together. 
Um, yeah. It doesn't mean that your manager can't take you to the next level because you were in the same boat together. You're both starting at the same spot, right? And yeah. if you stick together, because you understand each other, right? And everyone, then you you always see a lot of artists that jump to a new management team and they think it's all going to be great. And then it doesn't end up being great. You've, you're starting a relationship all over again and, and maybe it's not the same anymore. You got to always compare it to what you had before. And um, it, it was, you know, it's great that you two worked together for so long. Yeah, we, we, we did. And it was lots of wonderful men. It was truly like a second father to me too, you know, so I don't, I, I, I could, I could, I couldn't. And then when Stu started getting sick, you know, even though it kind of, it certainly affected the business, but I was not going to walk away. Okay, good luck with this, you guys. I know you're dying from ALS now, Sue, and thanks for the last. It just it wasn't going to, and you know, it wasn't. I wasn't going to walk away no matter what. So, uh, those 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 things matter, you know. Ultimately, more than anything, you know. Well, what what do you what have you know what have you done for other people with your you know have you have you have you lost sight of what really matters and those relationships and uh and not uh, not uh, not walking away necessarily when things get a little tough now you know there does come a time perhaps but i just hey that guy helped me create all my dreams so even even through the low even when things got a little you know but the other thing too is because that's an artist's career you know there's curves in these careers they're not going to be just like from the time brian and i got together we just it just skyrocketed now mind you you know i was i started on the road in 1980 brian and i started working together in 1985 my first hit wasn't a big hit was take it like a man in 1992 it was seven years later you know it's not like this stuff just happened overnight either and so i think you know i think of when i talk to artists younger artists to try to let them know that uh you know careers have some you know they have their they'll skyrocket for a while and then they're going to plateau and then they're going to dip a little bit but it's in the dipping times when i think you got to pull on your pull up your bootstraps and, 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 and not, not lose sight. Like you, you as the artist haven't gotten all of a sudden not very good or something, or you, it's not like you don't know what, you know, it's, it's not that it's just, that's the career and the fans do still want to hear your music and, and people do still respect you and you just have to just don't lose sight of the, the craft and the music and the, and the and the you know the 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 work that you've created because it's still there and it's still legitimate and it still matters and 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 and, and, and I guess I think of all the artists that came before me too Carol Baker being one of them by the way you know I mean I just love her and she's out there giving her still you know and there's those ebbs and those flows and and because uh, boy if you can't handle that you're going to be disappointed an awful lot. So just relax when that stuff is going on. Yet, yeah, don't throw in the towel, right? Yeah, it's funny you say that. Darren and I and your, yourself are cut from the same cloth, obviously, because we've had long, long, long-term relationships with people. And uh, <clears throat> I was reading not too long ago that one of the uh, younger promoters slash managers was talking about how you get the artists to stay loyal with you and to make sure that paycheck is there every time and they'll never leave you and you're only as successful as the last tour and all that sort of stuff. <clears throat> well, 
I tend to totally take the opposite approach by saying we've got to stick together thick or thin. I mean, you can't have a hit record every day. You can't have a sold out show every day either. But the bottom line is if you're there at the beginning, you should be there at the end, unless there's some real circumstances that happen to change that. And I, I echo everything you say and support each and every word of it. Cause I agree a hundred percent. I know Darren does as well. Yeah. Yeah. Take me back for a few years. I was, I, I brought back a few memories the last couple of days when I went thinking Darren, and I talked about doing this. And tell me about going to places like Africa and Asia and South America and Australia, taking Michelle Wright abroad to those places. I'm always very intrigued about, A, how you feel about going to those countries and how, how the reaction is there. I mean, English is not necessarily their first language in some of those places, but music seems to stand um, stand up. There's no, there's no language barrier at all. Do you feel the same way? Yes. Yes, it's you know, uh, boy, the memory, just the fact that I got, you know, I'm I come from I, I'm I come from a town of five hundred people, you know, and the fact that I've been able to travel the world is just such a thrill to even think about. And and we did all the you know from Australia, as you were saying, right, right, you know, to, to Africa, to you know, we did a double decker tour bus tour of, of England and Ireland, Scotland, Germany, and the Switzerland and the band got to st- spend a day in France and in Paris. And I had to go on, Brian and I had to go on to Switzerland to do some media. But um, yeah, that music is, uh, is just, uh, it, 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 it brings us all together um, in, in ways that I, I don't know of anything else that does. It just creates a moment in time and we ran into the good brothers out there when we were in, in england which was fun you know they come and hung out with us on the bus and uh gosh so many great memories of and just even experiencing the culture you know like breakfast in in, in london is uh, is you know and then bre- breakfast in france you know we played uh, um moran uh, France and did this big festival. I felt like I was dropped in the middle of a field in Texas. It was, I mean, I just couldn't <laughs> believe it. There were 20,000 fans out there that didn't speak English and it, but it, but it, but it works. So that's a real special thing to be able to be a part of that, to connect with people without having to speak the language. And how different is it when you're traveling and touring than when you're traveling for vacation? Right. I look at vacations and traveling around and I, I love vacations, but there's such a unique uh, difference when you're actually touring. You may not be able to get to all the spots, but man, do you get to know the people uh, yes. in a way different way than you do when you just go on vacation. Well, you know, that is sort of the that's kind of the the upside is that we get to go to all these places. I guess the downside is you're kind of in do the show and then you're moving on the next day. Right. And so the, that can sometimes present a challenge. I, and I will say, just even speaking of touring across Canada, for example, so most of the time we're touring, we're traveling at nighttime, right? And so you don't really, you know, in all those years of when we played the clubs even, it was, you know, Saturday night, tear down, head to the next town or whatever. But a couple of years ago, I did an acoustic tour, and we were able to travel in the daytime. 
and just to really get a grasp, really see Canada in the daytime was so beautiful. I just was like, my gosh, what a beautiful, beautiful country. And so that's one of the things that I enjoyed. That's where I'm able to, or that's where I make sure I take the time to at least sit up, look out the window, try to take in some of what you're seeing because it is often that we don't get to really be the tourist, that's for sure, because the singer's got to go to bed, right, and shut her mouth. And, you know, otherwise I, the guys often will go out and maybe go to a, a local pub or something after the show. And, of course, I don't get to do that. So uh, I try to connect with the, with the people in the autograph line and just make sure that I absorb some of where we're at. Now, and again, as you get older and travel more, I've, I've heard artists say this before. I sort of uh, I ask, I, I sort of make sure that there's time. For me to just stop for a minute and take it in a bit more, because a lot of it goes flying by when you're out there the, at the pace that we were when I when I was doing it so much. Yeah, Brian and I we we tour a lot, and we make it a point now to only travel during the day, um, yeah. yep. and not do <laughs> any late nights or early mornings unless it's really 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 necessary. Yeah, we'll have conversations. So, oh, the only way we're going to make this next shows if we leave at four in the morning we're always like oh really is that uh, the only option yeah and because you really miss you want you want your sleep uh you yeah. want to be fresh for the next day and i'm not sure if it's a thing of just getting older and and slowing it down a little bit because uh, yeah i remember being younger and yeah you travel through the night and drive and i was half the time always the driver because i only trusted myself so you right. drive all night long and you do you you only thing i remember at night is if you were lucky enough to see the Northern Lights, uh, yeah. that would be extra special, right? Um, yes, 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 dear. Oh, yes. That's but beautiful. besides that, if you, especially if you're out west, you'd be, you all, see, all of a sudden you see the lights of maybe Saskatoon and in the, in the <laughs> coming yeah. up, but it's still yeah. three hours away. So, <laughs> but you can yeah, see the glow incredible. in the distance, but man, that's you have a long incredible. ways to get there yet. Yeah. But yeah. I think part of needed that as the growing part. As we, nobody, a lot of people don't get to experience that today, and it's it's something that's missing. We it was it was better for us, I think. But now we know we, we don't want to do anymore. Yeah. yeah. Well, experiences that should never be underestimated. Should it? I mean, the, the, uh, at times, you know, sometimes I recognize this business is so much about the youth and the younger, you know, which is completely understandable i i was that younger you know artist that was new on the scene and and everybody was curious about that was wonderful and that is how it is but uh i don't know that i would turn back the hands of time guys i'm quite uh, <laughs> quite quite now there's a few a few more aches and pains than i care to have but uh but i'm still pretty high energy and still very passionate about my music and I still I'm creating every week and I'm still really driven and motivated to uh, challenge myself and to keep being creative and get out there on the road and, and and introduce myself to the younger generation as well I think that's something that's really really important and sometimes I you know sometimes I I some of the festivals and things like that. When I was doing the festivals, they always had the new kids and the and the and the and the superstars, and they always had a legend of some sort that would be on the show. 
and and as a young artist coming up i could i could go watch them perform and without fail i learned something i mean eh, you know from merle haggard to emmy lou harris to charlie pride forget about it i i just, i did a, a a festival here say 10 years ago or so and i i went on just before charlie and after it was a festival so i was out signing autographs kind of away so that i wasn't being distractive or anything and he's up there just killing it, song after song after song, you know. And I thought the festivals need to make sure they have a, young, a, a legend all the time, somebody who can, so the kids can see that, you know. And what can we do about that, by the way, guys? Well, can I be in charge of the world? Because they're not doing that at the festivals as much anymore, eh? Well, the festival market, boy, I'll tell you, whew, that's, a, that's a little little project in itself yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's, yeah. it's a tough one let me tell you well i think back when we used to work a lot of those festivals you you really went to see uh you spent the weekend because you really were a big country music fan and you really wanted to see everyone from the person that was on at one o'clock in the afternoon to the person on that was on at nine or ten o'clock at night nowadays it's it's about the party um it's about the drinking and it's about getting to the stage when the headliner comes on. So you take a right. look at some of these festivals and I remember going to the Craven and those type of festivals. They were full all day. They used yeah. to right when the gate opened, it was a mad rush yeah. to get in to get your spot and people stayed there all day. Now yeah. some of the early artists are going on. I feel really bad because there's a, just such a small crowd. And uh, yeah. wait till after dinner, and then everyone kind of comes in to see the big act. And how yeah. how disappointing! You almost feel like, well, why don't you just start the festival at five then? Right. Um, but it mean, still gives these artists a chance to play in a, in, on a big stage. And uh, but back in the day, everyone came because they really wanted to see every single artist. But it doesn't seem to be as important anymore. The last couple I went to, I was just as glad to get out of there. Sooner the better. And some of those parties get going on at night there, and you look around, and the one outside of town here, Havelock, they've, uh, it's, you know, that, that festival's been going for a long time, as you know. And uh, I read in the paper that they have to have 100 police officers there now and stuff. That doesn't give you the warm and fuzzy feeling, and let's go down there and be part of all that, you know. Those kids. Sad. Those kids. Are exactly. Music. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. But it just, it's just the change, and, and they're yeah. still having a great time, and, and it's still working. So, um, yeah. Exactly. But it's different it than, than what it used to be. So, Well, I know my fan base, they, they, they're, they're, they're not going as much anymore for that reason. It's like it's too, too gotten a little out of control for them. But, but oh, well, right? Yet they still should have legend artists every time to teach well they used to do a sunday show in havelock and i loved it from about yeah. noon hour till about seven o'clock yeah. and that's exactly what they did because they wanted to encompass everybody they'd say look you know let's thursday friday saturday let's go all out we'll start this thing and blow the roof off it but let's not forget the people that supported us all these years and all that sort of stuff right, and it was great excellent, excellent. Yeah. and I yeah, see I think play- they did that Sunday show actually. Yeah, it was wonderful. You know, they'd have like a gospel part to start it all off, and yeah. you know, I'm sure that's long passe by now. But it was certainly a good concept, and not sure how well it worked, but it certainly uh, it's, it certainly felt good and sounded good at the time. Yeah. I thought, yeah, so. yeah, yes, it all changes. So I I found it interesting when I was reading that that your mom and dad both were musicians. Uh, 
when you're growing up. So what, what were their involvement in, in music when you were, when you were young? Yeah, country music, guys. It's just, you know, like, just imagine that, you know, we're a small town and they played the legions and the moose lodge and the weddings and, you know, any kind of event that was going on. Um, you know, my mom and dad were kind of, so, so mom and dad were separated when I was very young. So mom had her band and dad had his band. And so whether I was with my mom or with my dad, you know, the rehearsals with mom were Wednesday nights, her and the band would either get together in our garage or at somebody else's house. And, uh, so I always, always had, and my mother was really, uh, you know, she uh, had children very young. Uh, she had a, a very difficult childhood and, uh, uh, she lost her mother when she was five years old and, and the family kind of unraveled, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a uh, it was a challenging time for, for the family. And, uh, so mom, uh, got married young and had children young and, uh, but she had this talent, you know, but she couldn't really pursue it like, and, and, and like I could, cause two yeah. kids by the time 17 years old. So there's no going out there on the road pursuing a music career, but my mother was very talented. And, uh, and so I had her to look up to. And, uh, and then my dad, I mean, he looked like Johnny Cash, and he had his rhinestone suits, and he'd have a case of two, four under one arm, and a guitar in the other, and off to go <laughs> rehearsal, or off to some place to play, and and uh, and often we kids would go, you know, and just sort of sit over in the corner, and uh, so I was exposed to the greats of country music through my mother and father, and uh, that's how it started for me, you know singing as a five-year-old you know they passed me the mic or something and then and then my mother played bass and my brother started playing guitar and in the in the, in the garage we had where mom would have rehearsal there was a drum set a little pa system and some amplifiers and the band would rehearse there and sort of by process of elimination but i also was very influenced by karen carpenter and so you know so there we were my mom's playing bass my my brother's playing guitar and i just sat down behind the drums and so my first instrument was the drums and we went on grade seven we did a little we went and went and did a little musical performance my mom and brother and i did satin sheets and bobby mcgee and house of the rising sun and there i was behind the drums and so that's really where and then i then, then i moved on to guitar when i was about 13 but uh, my parents were they were definitely the the inspiration and the influence. That's great. Yeah. What is it with moms playing bass? What <laughs> is today? <laughs> yeah, because it always seems like there's so many moms where they're playing an instrument, they're playing bass. I'm not sure why. Yeah. If you take a look back, it's it's you know it's not usually steel guitar or or anything right. like that. It's bass. Bass. Yeah. yeah. That's, the That's very interesting. That's a good observation, actually. And mom also played acoustic guitar, but uh, but she was the bass player. Yeah. So do you remember, what would be your first official Michelle Wright show? Do you remember what that was? Well, you know what, guys? So uh, I got my first paying gig when I was 17 as a member of a, of, of a band. As, as a matter of fact, the band was called the Marquis. And they called the house and I answered the phone and they were calling about my mom. <coughs> Excuse me. That's right. Uh, they were they were calling to talk to my mom to see if she'd be interested in joining their band. Well, she was already in a band, very popular band called The Reflections. And so I said, well, I, well I know, I'll tell her, but I know she's in a band and may, maybe I could come and audition. And so I'm 17 years old. Mom came home that night. She said, oh, yeah, hon, why don't you go? Because I, I, I'm in my, I've got my band. And so that I got the gig. And that was sort of my first 
professional uh, gig with a band. And then I moved from that band to, a, to, to another band called the Melody, was the Melody Ramblers, I believe. And I played as the girl singer in that band. And then I played actually, went, went on the road in 1980 was the year I hit the road, always as a member of a band, like a, the girl singer. Yeah. And I did that until 1985. And I actually had the first contract. Uh, I, I signed an agency. I signed, well, Marilyn Caswell oh, yeah. uh, was at the time. And uh, she got me my first gig in Thunder Bay, Ontario. And that was my, and I got the contract. It was in 1985. It was my first uh, paying gig with, 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 with my name on the contract. And I, I even remember going around picking up the band guys and, and uh, off in, in the van. I had a, had a one ton or three quarter ton van. Mom helped me buy the PA system. And it was just, I had worked with a diff, bunch of different bands and, 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 and it was just time for me to get my own thing going. So mom helped me get a van and a PA system. And I had my band and went to Thunder Bay, Ontario for my first show at gig. And there's a name from the past, Marilyn Caswell. Boy, I'll tell you, we used to talk almost daily. And I remember her talking about booking you all over everywhere. Yeah, yeah, and and then that's a, there's a someone right there, right? That's a woman who worked. She was very experienced, and she she was you know very well connected. You know, she had great her friends out of Nashville that she loved and and, and enjoyed her that connection that she made made with them, and and then all of the artists that she kept working across Canada. Marilyn was was the real deal, wasn't she? And oh, so, you know, I stay connected a little bit with her. I, I wish I, I've called her on the phone a couple of times, and I, I almost want to call her and help her use Facebook a little bit more, you know, because we want to connect with her, you know. But uh, yeah. occasionally I see her put something up there, you know. I feel the same way, exactly. Yeah. We yeah. go walk a long way. <laughs> so how, how did you meet after that? Obviously, you, you connect with Brian Ferryman. So how, how did that connection come about? Marilyn Caswell, once again, yeah. uh, Brian, Marilyn and Brian were talking, and Marilyn knew that Brian was looking for a female singer. And uh, I actually had just gone into the studio with Larry Code. Oh, wow. boy. <laughs> right, guys? Oh, and I boy. did Mama, He's Crazy, and I did an original song that I think Larry had written. Because he, for some reason, somebody said, hey, you need to get a little demo tape. Maybe it was even Marilyn said, look, you need to put a little demo tape, tape together to help me promote you. And she sent that to Brian. And, uh, and Brian, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, responded right away to, to my voice and uh, came out to see me at the Gladstone Tavern <laughs> at, in Hamilton, Ontario. And what he loved about what I did, he said, besides the fact that you, your voice, you know, he just called me an, all, an, al, an alto in, in a soprano world, you know, is that I would do a lot of male vocalist songs. I'd do Merle Haggard and I'd do who, because I, I didn't, I wanted to separate myself from the girl singer that's going to be there next week and the girl singer that was there last week. So I would just do a lot of male singer songs and he loved how I did Merle Haggard. He's like, I've never heard a girl sing Merle quite like that. So that, that's how, uh, my relationship with Brian started uh, and we went, the, he talked to me that night. The ne I think the next day we had lunch at the holiday inn and, uh, and uh, I said, come on, I want to do, and I actually knew of Brian. He was already Brian Ferryman, you know, it's like, 
he was uh, he was managing Terry Sumption, and he was sort of becoming the 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 manager to want to hook up with, and so we did. I still have that contract too. I've got that yeah. original. Oh yeah, wow, that Brian That's and I signed. Cool. Yep. Brian, he's, he was always kind of a heavy set guy, wasn't he? No, nope. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I wish I, I wish I had video recording of that look on your face. <laughs> <laughs> so funny. No, tall and lanky. Tall and lanky. Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah, he was. I can still he's remember going Go into some of the those fair conventions to see him walking in. And just basically almost having to duck under the door to get in. And, yeah, um, yeah. You can't miss him, eh? Yeah, he just looked like a mad scientist uh, yeah. guy coming in. He and, was. Yeah. He was a mad scientist, I'm telling you right now. He was the guy that taught me how to eat properly for breakfast and, and eat energy food and berries and all that sort of yeah. stuff to give me the energy you needed for the day. And I'd be knocking back steak and eggs and potatoes and God knows what else. And there he is, you know, sitting in this little bowl of strawberries. Like, oh, my God. I know. But he knew it. what he was doing, you know. Yeah. He sure did. Yeah. So moving on, you, you got a, uh, a deal in Nashville. How did that all come about? Well, you know, it's very interesting. I have found that all things just seem to line up in a strange kind of way for me. And, of course, they were lining up because I was showing up. You know, I mean, uh, they're not going to just fall into your lap, are they? I mean, so, so for example, you know, there I was out on the road working with Marilyn. Marilyn knew about Brian looking for an artist, a female singer. Then, then, there, then I just happened to have just done this demo tape and, okay, send it. And then Brian signs the deal with me. And just shortly after that, we're playing in the, the Golden Rail or the Golden Spike in Ottawa. And uh, it, was, it was Spike or Rail. Do you guys know? It's the rail. Golden yeah. Rail. Yeah. We're playing, right? And it's Friday night. And uh, 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 it was the break of before the last set. <clears throat> and the uh, bar manager or whatever said, hey, your agent called. Uh, give her a call back. And so Marilyn said, look, there's a gig up the road in Maxville, Ontario, the noon hour slot, the band that's playing the noon hour slot has canceled. So they need a, a band to fill in. I think it was about a three-hour drive or something from Ottawa. And so I'm like, okay, because we used to go over to Hull afterwards and party till two or three in the morning, right? <laughs> yeah. Okay, let me see. Now, that means if we do that, then we'll have to be up and on the road by seven o'clock. And now can we do, you know, like, of course, my, I was young, you know, kind of, you know, the priorities were a little different. But I thought, no, go and do this gig and so i told the band and the boys guys we're going to bed early tonight because we had to get up at seven o'clock and head to maxville got there set up did the noon hour slot guys i was doing my last song i was doing a male song by a band called exile mm -hmm. take me to the river set me on the yep. just a great song you know and it was my last song and unbeknownst to me um a guy by the name of Rick Giles was showing up there to see Gilles Godard. 
Jill Godard has moved on to, you know, be one of our most successful, uh, you know, managers of, 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 of songwriting, publishing, this kind of thing. You know, he's been, has had an extremely successful career. But Jill was an artist at the time and him and, 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 and Rick Giles were working together for writing songs and so on and so forth. Remember this guy? And there's, there's a picture of Jill. Like, I, I, found, I found that two days ago, oh cleaning. I know you can't, people can't see this. Uh, it's an old record. I sent that to him a couple of days ago. <laughs> Oh, I love that, you know. Yes, so Gilles Bedard was this Canadian guy that was really making things happen and making connections. And one of his connections was with Rick Giles, who was an up-and-coming singer, songwriter, producer. So Rick came to see Gilles that day. He showed up backstage while I was singing my last song. And he said to us, that man up there has a very interesting voice. And he came around to the front of the stage and saw me standing there, you know, 120 pounds, 25 years old, and uh, and singing sort of in this lower register, male song. He went, oh my God, you know, and he introduced himself to me backstage, said, I, I don't know if I've ever quite heard a voice like yours before. And I was, oh, thanks, you know. And so I connected him. I had my manager in place. I connected Rick with Brian. They started talking. It was time for me to do an album. Uh, I managed to get the, I did a talent contest where I won $10,000, used that money. My mom helped me find an investor. We made the Do Right By Me album with Rick Giles and Steve Bogard. Uh, so, you know, met in 85, uh, got the album out in 87, and that album got me my record deal in 1989 with Arista Records. Wow. Wow. I it's Boy. just and and and, and 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 I and I have to share something with you guys. I had a bass player named Floyd Gibson. He was my papa Floyd. And after gigs, you know, him and I would go and you know, we were, he was my my friend only, you know, but we would go up to his room and he would he had a cassette player and his suitcase of cassettes and we'd put the bottle of Jack Daniels on the table and we'd start listening to Merle and you know all of them just to, and he would tell me stories about their biographies and he educated me a lot about these artists even though I was aware of their music he would tell me things that he'd read about them <clears throat> and one thing that Floyd Gibson said to me which is in Hearst Ontario one night he said, if you can ever get a record deal with Clive Davis, you take that record deal. I looked at him kind of like, yeah, whatever. It's like 1984 or something. And I like, I'm ever going to get a record deal with Clive Davis. And by golly, in 1989, Clive Davis opens up that Nashville record label with Tim Dubois, and I get a record deal with Clive Davis. Wow. It's just kind of crazy, right? Yeah. For that Floyd Gibson spoke that out loud. And the odds of Clive Davis getting involved in country music and the odds of me signing a record deal with that guy. And I, I, I and the, once I signed my deal, I went to New York to get my hair done and get styled up a little bit and all that kind of stuff, which was kind of traumatic, to be honest with you, because they start dressing you in things you don't want to wear, and then you got to fight that fight, you know, which is challenging, right? But I went there to meet Clive Davis, and he, he, he you, to get to his office, it was like this circular stair thing that you climbed up to, and there he was. And the, I, as soon as I got to the 
the top and there he was. I said, I started crying. I said, they, I had my plastic Kmart cowboy boots on and I was like, thank you so much for this record deal. And the his first thing he did was pass me a box of Kleenex. That was kind of my introduction to Clive Davis. So, wow. yeah. yeah. It's funny how you can look back and there's these moments at the time that you don't think are pivotal moments. Uh, and they, you look back now and you think if it wasn't for that, particular day uh or this little meeting here or there how your life would completely change guys it's it's so true it is certainly very true in 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 my case i mean what are the if rick giles hadn't showed if he'd have been three minutes later i i really just don't know right yeah so yep those sort of things definitely have happened have happened quite regularly in my career yeah but you got to show up and the point being right you got you know show up so that's another thing I tell artists, like, get out there, make sure you're doing stuff, make sure you're involved, because if you don't show up, no one's come, going to come knocking, right? That's Amen. Right. <laughs> so wasn't Tenty doing lights for you at some point? You know, she was doing lights for Vicky Van Dyke, hon. Ah. He was doing lights for Vicky Van Dyke, yep. And wow. that's how I met her. She'd never done them uh, for me, but then, of course, it became quite very successful booking agent. She stood up in my wedding. Yeah. You know, one of my dear friends, but yeah, Tinty. Yeah. You remember her very well. Yeah. <laughs> very, very well. Yeah. yeah we should have I don't see her much anymore. You know, yeah. my, my, my husband and I moved out sort of a little further South of Nashville. And, uh, and, uh, I don't, it just, I don't get into town as much as I used to. And if I do, it's a, and she's not in the business anymore. I mean, if I do go to town, it's always to write, and then a couple of my friends, I, I, I sort of have this little circle of friends now that we don't have as, we find we don't have as much time or whatever to, to, to be out partying like we used to, I guess. And so, whereas I have a, a little circle of friends that I try to see at least once a month or certainly a, every couple months we try to get together. And they're all Canadians too. We have this right, lovely, wonderful Canadian contingency down here in Nashville, eh? Yes. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. yeah. Fabulous. Yeah. So when you had Take It Like a Man become a big hit, what was that like for you? And how did that change your career, especially in, in the US? Well, I, uh, you, you, my band and I were, were playing a club in Texas and Take It Like a Man. Take it like a man had been out for for what whatever month or two or whatever and was just start climbing up the charts, and we played it at this club in Texas. And the reaction from the audience, I mean, I we were I the, I know all of us were like, okay, this is kind of awesome. And we got on the bus that night and went, uh, is that what it feels like to have a hit record coming along? Because Never had we ever experienced that before, where we played a song that was out, just been, you know, put out to radio, and the audience was singing and dancing and the applause afterwards. And so we, I I, I really am so glad that somehow, for some reason, I remember, and the band and I stopped and went, that's what it feels like to to have a hit records hat bubbling under. Yeah. So that record, and it was really hard to get up. The, it ended up at number eight here in America and number one in Canada. But we almost lost that song more times than I care to remember because it was a hard sell. 
because it was very different than, 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 you know, and, 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 you know, one thing I don't want to be is a hypocrite, you know, because when you're talking about the new generation and their country music, well, you know, I was kind of kicking the doors down too a little bit. I was a bit rebellious and I didn't want to do my mom's country music. I wanted to do my country music. And yeah. so I admittedly was uh, also uh, put, wanting to push the, the, the edges of what it was all about. And so take it like a man definitely was doing that. And so we, had to fight the good fight, but it, it, it to the guys that that song is now it's twenty eight years ago that that song came out, and to this day, and it's not, not credited to me particularly because anybody could have sung that song. You know, I say that. On the other hand, it's a challenging song to sing because it has the lower register stuff that that I, I know some girls are like, I can't do that song. It's got two, you know, the lower stuff, but. Um, yeah. It was just such a hit record, and it stands the test of time. And I was the lucky one that got to sing that song. To this day, I can't wait to sing it. When I see it on, I know it's coming up on the set list, and uh, it changed. It, it changed everything for me. It changed my whole life. Yep. A fabulous song. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's it's neat if you look back at almost any artist that's popular. They could have big hits any time in their career probably bigger hits than their very first hit, but it's always that kind of first or second one that stays with you forever. And you may be 20 years into your career and, and have other songs that blow that one out of the water, but people still want to hear that yes. first song, right? It's, it's that one that just kind of defines who you are. And I'll tell you, thank God that I love doing it because there 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 is also that side of... There are songs that were hits for me that I won't do anymore because I really didn't want to do them in the first place because there is a negotiation when you've got a record deal. Yeah. You know, I don't care what anybody says, you know, maybe in other formats it's different. Certainly as a female, you know, you, you, you had to be a little more delicate about how aggressive you wanted to be about how you were going to do this. And also they are putting out the money for, you know, the, the give and take, right? And so uh, uh, there's a, uh, take it like a man. And we unfortunately, uh, well, we followed up with He Would Be 16, which was another career-changing song. Uh, but then, then I won Top New Female Artist of the Year in America. And I was in the studio recording, and, and we found a song called One Good Man, which Rick Giles and Steve Bogart had written again. It's a great song, except... I already had Take It Like a Man. We didn't need one good man. And so there was a real conflict for us. And, and of course, radio did the same thing. They were like, no, no, we've already got Take It Like a Man from Michelle. We don't need this one, too. And uh, I never really wanted to record it. And, uh, and so I, I don't do that song anymore, for example. Though it's a really good song. I'm just glad it wasn't – maybe uh, – I, I, I think lyrically too. Uh, I, I just wasn't crazy about some of the lyric. You know, I wanted one good man for all the love I have to give to be the reason that I live. You know, wanted just one chance to find a happy ending with one good man. It just seemed really, I don't know, maybe a little, a little more passive than I am. Or although it's true because I have one good man that I live my life for, but. At the time, I was young and single and thought, I'm not that desperate, you know. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, I don't do that anymore. Well, uh, that's, that's fine, right? It, there's nothing yeah. wrong with, because I think an audience knows whether you're 
into a song or not. I mean, it, yeah. it's not you if you're not if you can't connect with it yourself, how do you expect the audience going to connect with it? Yeah, um, so yeah. it's better to better to pull it out and just you could put anything in its place. Yeah. So yeah. again, thank God, I, I just love Take It Like a Man, and I, I feel so lucky to have that one. And then he would be sixteen and safe in the arms of love, and uh, you know, songs like that that I you know got to get to sing. So looking back, when you were really going crazy there and, and throughout the throughout the U.S., did you have any special moments that you can think of of different places you played or performed with different people that really stand out to you at this time? So many. There's just so many memories. You know, the first time I got to work, play with Merle Haggard was crazy. I just was such a fan. Uh, I toured with Kenny Rogers. I toured with Alabama. I toured with Randy Travis. Uh, to tour with those acts that I, you know, played their songs when I was gigging. Uh, uh, and, 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 and something I learned from all of those guys uh, was that it starts at the top, right? They were all wonderful human beings. They treated their crew and their people right. They treated us right. Uh, I never, ever had any bad experiences with, really with anybody, quite frankly. I've not really had any bad experiences uh, which I guess is uh, unusual, but uh, but watching that level and how they, I toured with George Strait, uh, how the, how they treated their people was good for me to see. You know, they're just regular folks and they were good and kind. So those are wonderful memories. Um, uh, you know, uh, singing the singing the uh, the national anthem at the World Series was uh, one of my most proudest moments. That our boys were in the World Series, our Blue Jays, and I'm and I'm there singing in the middle of that incredible you know stadium, <laughs> singing Oh Canada, and Winona was there. That was wonderful. Wow. Uh, and, and 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 doing Jay Leno was really wonderful. I'd like to do that again, but. Uh, just if I could just reel back that because you know what happened, guys. So I'm there singing, having my interview with Jane. I'm just so nervous. I really feel out of place. I just, what am I doing here, you know? And uh, uh, and then I'm singing, and I've got the mic in my hand, and I singing, take it like a man, and I twirl with the mic, and the and the cable gets stuck on the drums, oh, and so now I'm afraid to pull the mic in front of my mouth. So I just kind of move over to it, and I don't want to pull the mic because in case I, the drums come crashing down or whatever. It was sort of so like, oh, this is not how I wanted this to be. But now I re- it wasn't live. I could have like stopped the tape and went, guys, listen, I'm really sorry. I really don't want to do this, but can I please do this again? Because my and I would not do the twirl. I would just stay still. <laughs> but yeah. so experience has taught me that you could have actually stopped that tape and gone, went ahead and 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 started again. You know, but uh, but you know, but the, but Jay Leno was 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 wonderful. And there's just a lot, a lot of stuff like that that I was. Oh my gosh, you guys also uh, singing for the world special olympics that was one of my most uh, uh, a down syndrome boy from vancouver was an interpretive dancer and somehow he was kind of known in his uh, in in that world as this guy that loved to dance and he would just twirl around and dance and so there we were at the sky dome with the world special olympics happening and i'm way up top on this ramp 
and uh, I'm singing safe in the arms of love and the spotlight hits me and I'm singing and then the spotlight hits this young man who loves to do interpretive dance and we were all so captivated by him as I'm walking down these stairs and singing this song all the focus was on him it was so in a, in a stadium of 60,000 people you know that's one of my most memories seeing this boy and then he came and did that with me at my shows a few times but just that was a beautiful memory. So there's so many of them. That's awesome. Yeah. Looking at today's music, do you have any artists that you're really enjoying what they're doing nowadays? Yes, yes. Madeline Merlot is somebody who I think is a star. I think she's really, you know, for this sort of newer sound of country music, I think she's a star. Uh, There's something about her that... I really like Tennille Towns, as we all know, is just killing it, right? Yeah. And I've, you know, written with her. I've got some, some of my most favorite songs are that song because she's really talented, guys. She's really gifted. She, she's one of those extraordinary, uh, rare breeds to come along. And I saw her when she was 16 years old. Brian and I were at the CCMAs. I saw her performing. And her pitch was out, you know. I thought, darn it, this kid is so, has such a magnetism about her, but that pitch, you know, and I, I didn't know what I was going to do. Was it my place to say anything to her? And I just didn't feel that it was. But I was just so happy to see that she just kicked, kept developing, kept developing. And her pitch now was on the money, and her songwriting is extraordinary. So I'm a massive fan of hers. Um, oh, Don um, Amaro. Don Amaro is another guy that I think is really uh, something to 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 pay attention to, and uh, so just to name a few, you know, I, I, I'm uh, you know pretty big fans of, of of those kids. Yeah, Don is a little bit older, but the others are kids. You're just getting started. I know it's neat seeing a, a nice lot of young talent coming up, right, and especially. And they, even here in Canada, there's so many. Yeah. Um, it, it's exciting. It's it's neat to see yeah. that. You always wonder what that next generation, the next cycle of singers are going to be like. And they're already coming to the table. It's pretty exciting. Do you know what I think? I think the, the singing, uh, uh, you know, these kids are sort of, they're, they're exposing themselves to such a wide range. You know, my mom, when she grew up on the farm, they had no TV and, you know, uh, you know, the Grand Ole Opry Sunday night, you know, so who she was exposing, you know, who she was singing to was sort of in this, uh, in, in this box, you know, but these kids now, some of the kids and they're, and they're, the, 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 um, um, I don't know what I'm lo- like the, the, what's, what's the word I'm looking for? Sort of the, what they can do with their voices, sort of the the loops and the inflections and the there's a, a, a wider range of vocal tricks going on out there nowadays, you know. And then they can, but they can also pull back and do a simpler sound too. I think these kids have a wider range of, of vocal chops. I guess is what I'm I'm seeing and what I'm hearing. Yeah. Yeah, and I think kids, their influences are so wide nowadays because they're so exposed to so many different things and so many different styles of music. I think of when I grew up and you either listened to country music or you listened to rock and roll or you, there really wasn't a whole lot of back and forth. Um, yeah. Now, even an average 
country fan, uh, yeah. you'll, they'll listen to everything. They're listening everything to heavy metal. Or, yeah. To all a, of it. Yeah. And all of a sudden they know a country artist and it's, that's not what it used to be. Yeah. Which is really wonderful, isn't it? Yet there is a consequence to all of that in, 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 in every format. I mean, honestly, now I, bet I, I do tune, you know, I, I tune into country radio pretty regularly so I can keep my, my finger on the pulse. And the, the only complaint that I would have is that things all sound a little too much alike for me. But I was just going to say that uh, I, I, I concern myself sometimes that we are going to lose the format and that would break my heart, you know, because it's all starting to kind of sound like mm, 80s pop, you know, and just a little nerve, a little concerning. Yet, yet, on the other hand, I don't lose any sleep over it. But I just wish, because there are young artists out there, like Mo Pitty, for example, who's a great country singer. That guy is killer. And there are people out there that want to sing that real traditional country music. And I don't hear that guy on the radio. I can't believe it. He's such a great singer. So that we're losing, we're losing out a little bit. So I have some concern about that, you know. But but again, you can't stop. You know, the, the influences are going to be what they're going to be, as they were with me. I brought my R and B and my pop and my rock and everything to the format. But we still had all the sounds in the format. It wasn't all of a sudden now just a, a, a little less. Uh, it's a little limited now sometimes, I think. And the, the young kids that want to do country music don't necessarily have an outlet. Well, yeah. it, it's neat that I know Brian obviously books charlie pride uh all over canada and and i get to work on a lot such of those shows i'm yeah. sorry to talk to you. such a fan brian and charlie me has too a, <laughs> he, has a great, he has a great memory right and oh I, you may yeah. know that right and so i've done some stuff i've done some stuff with charlie through the years and i got into a limousine with him one day going to something acms or something and uh, he started singing Take It Like a Man, just like that. He knew who I oh, was. Yeah. He knew the song. And then from that moment forward, oh, I swear almost. I, I haven't seen him now. We did a, bi a big thing for Dick Dameron a few years ago. And I did this. In Calgary. Back, you know, so it's yeah. been a few years since I've seen him. But just like that, he's like, ah, it's my Take It Like a Man girl, you know. So, sorry. I just wanted to say I'm such a fan of Charlie. Well, speaking of the memory, we did a dinner one night at one casino for some players and stuff. There's about 30 people at this dinner. And he went around the table and asked everybody for their name. And about a half hour later, he went around the opposite way and named everybody. And <laughs> it just freaked everybody right out. And he, <laughs> so and he remember your horoscope and when you were uh, born and what that means. It's just, the guy is just incredible. Just, and I'm I agree the exact with you. opposite. <laughs> I, I, but I do not forget a face, though. I'll tell you, I do have sort of a little gift, I think, for remembering faces. Sometimes fans at my shows will be, how did you know, how did you remember that we met? I don't know. You lock eyes like that, and I just don't forget. But, yeah. Well, I got a very special memory that goes back probably to, let's say, 1993, maybe somewhere around there. Um, I booked the entertainment with John Lester for the, the Lindsay exhibition when John was the manager there. And uh, they always booked their entertainment about seven, eight months ahead of time. And we're having this meeting and whatnot. And Michelle Wright's name come up. And we talk about it. And anyway, to make a long story short, we agree that's the artist that we're going to have on there at this particular fair, which is the third week of September. Well, as we all know, the CCMAs happened to be the first week of September, and guess who won all the awards that night? A lady by the name of Michelle Wright. And I'll tell you, 
we never seen such a crowd at that fair in all of our life. And what was really neat about the whole thing at the end of the end of the, the entire evening, they come up to us and said, you know, you really know how to pick that talent to fill our grandstand. <laughs> like I was thinking, I agree, you know, and we, oh. we, we worked together for 20 years after that. And, and I attribute a lot of that to that success that you had there that oh, night. It was yes. overwhelming. Just, it was jammed. Like I've never seen anything jammed at a fair in my life ever. It was great. So, you know, I have those memories too. The, the Canadians, uh, you know, the interesting thing sometimes when we talk about, well, why does, why does a Canadian have to leave and go to Nashville? You know, and the bottom line is that we just at that time, anyhow, didn't have the infrastructure, not, to, not you know, to, to promote a Canadian artist, like, because you know, it costs a lot of money to put an artist out there on the main stage like that and to, 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 to hit time and time and time again until you can penetrate sort of the, you know, the psyche, the, the, the psyche of, of anybody because we're all busy, you know. And so, but I want to tell you that once I did hit in America uh, and they expected, you know, have me on Jay Leno, you know, that's, you know, that's how you, you can, you know, can, that makes people aware of you. Once Canada became aware of me, the Canadian fans, I would have, I would, I would not have survived without the Canadian fans because they started showing up in numbers that nobody had seen. And it was so exciting for me. It was magical, you know, and I was just so blown away. I was like, that's, Canada does support their own, but they got to be aware of you in order. It's not that they yeah. don't. They got to know who you are, and once they know who you are, by golly, there's a pride. There was a pride in, in, in all of that that was going on for me and for the fans. That was so beautiful. Excellent. Well, I know we've taken a lot of your time here, and it's been a great conversation. I always like to wrap up with uh, a couple questions. Uh, oh. One question is always, "What has been your?" place that you've never performed at before venue or city or place in the world that you've always wanted to but you haven't yet is there one on your bucket list that you like to strike off one day gosh i think of some place in lord let me think about that ah you know the bridgestone okay two places guys the Ryman in Nashville i was just there to see a show my my brother-in-law's in a really cool band called Colexico and they were there. Uh, I'd love to play the Ryman, and I'd love to play the Bridgestone Arena here in Nashville. But of course, I was also thinking about like the Parthenon or so, like in Greece. You know, you see where <laughs> yeah. those beautiful, you know, performances that go on in some of those. Something like that would be amazing. But uh, but uh, those are a couple of places that come to mind. They're good ones. Yeah. You know, it's funny how the Ryman always seems to come up with a lot of people. Uh, the Ryman or the, the Opry. Uh, uh, there's a couple yeah. that always, always <clears throat> the ones, you know, there's special. And I've, 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 yeah, yeah, and I've played the, uh, the Opry. And why, I, I, you know, I'm not sure how come fate has not allowed me into the Ryman yet, but by golly, I'm still seeing it. I'm believing it. I've got the vision. It's going to happen. Another question. If you had to look back over the last bunch of years, is there anything you feel like you've, if you wanted to change and do something different besides the Jay Leno show appearance, <laughs> would there be something that you'd want to change and do do Gosh. over again? You know, that is, that is a, such a good question. Cause there, there is, there are a few things, you know, um, uh, you know, I was pitched, uh, well, you know, 
early in my career, too, I was pitched a song called Maybe It Was Memphis, which is a mm. massive, mm. wonderful, Pam Tillis had a huge hit with that. And, and that was pitched to me. And I just, I was Canadian. And I hadn't been to Memphis before. And I hadn't read a Faulkner novel, which is some of the, the, the lines in this song. And so I passed on it. And I remember, you know, the team kind of going, huh. And, but they, they respected <clears throat> my position as I'm Canadian. And I've never been to these places. And I don't connect with the song. Or then there's a There's Your Trouble. The Dixie Chicks had a big hit called There's yeah. Your Trouble, you know. And I didn't like the song because it seemed like it was a girl uh, bitching about another girl. Well, there's your trouble, you know. She's a big, And I just didn't want to be the girl pointing out to a guy how he shouldn't be with that girl. He should be with me because she's just a B-I-T-C-H and I'm not. And it's just something about, but it's a great song in hindsight, you know. So sometimes um, if I could maybe have changed those decisions, in, but, I, but I couldn't because that's where I was at the time. Um, but, I, but, but I also think, though, I just... That's to me is such a. I could give you guys ten things that I should have done differently, quite quite easily. But then on the other hand, I guess I just didn't know any better. To me, at that time, those were the right decisions. But in hindsight, mm, I, I I maybe should have uh, made. Uh, the other thing is following your intuition. Following your instincts, you know, it's so easy to get talked out of something because they, the person's trying to do the best thing for you, but they're, they're not inside of you. They don't feel what you're feeling. And uh, a couple of times that I, uh, I should have followed those intuitions a little closer, but it just doesn't. What this can't? It can't be done perfectly. No. None of us Absolutely. perfectly, right? No, absolutely. Yeah. You know, I used to say that I trust that everything is as it should be. Yet, on the other hand, you know, when Sue died from ALS, I'm thinking, well, why did why was why did that have to be like? You know, Brian struggling with Lou, and, and some of the other things I've seen in my life. It's like, well, I'm not sure that things are exactly as they should be. I don't really use that expression the same way anymore. But I'm happy. My life is good. Great. And so, Excellent. you know, yeah, that's the main thing. How it goes, eh? That's right. And you can't you know, buy happiness. And no, it's good. Yeah. And especially no. in wrapping it up in times like we're going through now, um, to be happy and content with where you're at, it's, it's yeah. all you can, you can hope for, right? Well, and I have to say, I, I picked very well when I married. I, I, I had some long-term relationships, in, you know, in my life, uh, but never got married for whatever reason. But I'm so glad I waited, you know. I, I married my Marco and I've been together almost 20 years now. And quite honestly, guys, again, without him, <clears throat> in the lean years, you know, he's there for me. He's like, yeah. you know, I'm going to keep you, just keep going and don't worry. And and, uh, and 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 he's a wonderful love of my life and kind and funny and generous and understanding. And uh, I heard he makes uh, great spaghetti sauce. The best. <laughs> Good. So I'm, I'm a lucky girl. Not, not, not to, you know, nothing's perfect in anybody's life or world, but, uh, but I sure am surrounded by some wonderful people, and I'm very, very lucky. 
That's wonderful. Awesome. Well, 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 it's certainly great to chat with you again. It's been a long time. Well, we'll have to have breakfast together sometime, Brian. And I, you know, I might. Uh, I don't eat meat, but I could. If I did, I'd have steak and eggs, Dad. With that, <laughs> Brian. Why the a bowl of blueberries, and we'd have a little toast to Brian and go, eh, who cares about blueberries? <laughs> there you go. Oh, great. Love it. Well, thank yeah. you very much again. It was a lovely conversation, and I enjoyed every minute of it. And, and I, 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 I would love for us to have, hopefully we can all have a cup of coffee together sometime. It's so nice just to see I you guys. Well, Brian and, I, Brian and I have talked about <laughs> coming down to Nashville to do some some podcasts too, and, and uh, obviously with times now, it's not allowing us, but if we get down, we certainly will touch base and, and love to get together. Please do, yeah, because we could go have a have a toast together. Do you guys ever watch the Dan Rather and the the, the Dan Rather interview? You bet, love it, right? I should, you know those bands that it's just so oh, great. Eh? I love that he, show. Love he did it. the best interview with Charlie Pride I've ever seen in my life ever. He I got saw. he got he was just wonderful with him. Yeah, wonderful, wonderful, yeah. wonderful. Yeah, yeah. Well, all right, guys. I got Take my, care. I'm going to go get my toothbrush out again because I've got more cleaning. I'm, I'm giving the house the toothbrush <laughs> clean. So I'm moving out of the master bathroom bedroom into the living or kitchen living room now. So perfect. Well, take care, Michelle. It's yeah. great to see you. Guys, okay. You Everybody's safe, right? Take, take, yeah, take yeah. care of yourself. Are you okay. guys like doing the full distancing thing? I mean, yeah. oh, like, yeah. we're miles other- apart. Well, well, I haven't so, been to Starbucks in a month. I'm dying. Uh, uh, wow. <laughs> We've been quarantined. Say, you know, I would go. We, I was going to the grocery store, with mask on and stuff like that. And I would uh, go to. I would go to Home Depot a couple times to get some stuff. But for these next two weeks, I'm going to stay totally quarantined. Yep. Yep. Uh, yeah. This, this is week number three for us, so I'm used yeah. to it. No problem. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think these two weeks are important weeks to really, really really Um, buckle down. Feels like it is, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, fellas. Take care. See See you you again. Thanks. Take care. Bye. 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 Bye